Welcome to the Oxygen Advantage podcast with your host, Oxygen Advantage founder, Patrick McKeown. With the Oxygen Advantage podcast, we aim to show how functional breathing is an essential part of a healthy and well-balanced lifestyle. Each episode, we meet experts in their field from around the world and talk about their lives, their experiences, and how they learned the importance of breathing. Join us and get inspired. Get the Oxygen Advantage. So this is going to be a conversation with Ben Coomber, and uh, we're going to tie a number of pieces together here in terms of Ben's background as a high-performance coach. And I suppose, Ben, you're very welcome. And to kick off, what is a high-performance coach? What normally is, is involved with it? Well, a lot of individuals have a desire to be a high-performer, and I think a high-performance coach performance coach literally looks at the pillars that would constitute high performance and it's our job to delve into each one of them and say cool where are the biggest wins that we can have that can equate to you becoming a higher performing person and you might do that through I quite like a simple score out of 10 so if I said oh Patrick how's your sleep out of 10 and you said oh god five and then oh how's your diet oh eight oh how's your relationship with whoever oh four and then you kind of delve into those areas because everything works in tandem, right? You can't isolate things and expect it all to work in harmony. So for me, high performance is about looking at the big picture, looking at where the improvement needs to be made and improving the whole. So this is almost like the the diagram of the wheel and the different spokes that constitute our life. So there's a lot of factors. What do you think are the most common ones? And also, where do you see... Well, first of all, I'd like to know who was the kind of individual typically you were working with over the years, but where do you see the more problematic areas? Do you see it changing and things like that? Just to give a a deeper dive into it. I think right now, stress is probably the number one thing that I see a lot of clients struggle with. And that is, God, that's got a lot of things that you could unpack. I think boundaries is a huge one in people's lives right now. Boundaries between people's relationship with technology, boundaries as a result with work and, you know, being able to switch off from the digital ecosystem that we're all involved in. Um, We've also been dragged through a lot in the last couple of years with the pandemic and recession and all that kind of stuff. There's almost like a lot of cultural and societal baggage that, that a lot of people are holding on to. So I think stress is a major thing and being able to develop things, strategies that allow us to cope and manage. And if not, hopefully kind of almost eradicate stress to an extent, because if we can be someone where it's like water off a duck's back, then you're going to handle stress very well because it's just another thing that you have to deal with. I think second to that, sleep is always the thing that comes up like the most, you know, if I get into a room and I'm speaking to an audience and, you know, I say, go on, put your hand up if your sleep is better than a seven out of 10. And there's usually like four sheepish hands out of a hundred. And I'm like, sleep's the biggest win that we could all have to improve. Um, so they'd probably be like the, the biggest two, but also they have the biggest compounding effect on everything else. Mm. Like if you're well slept, you'll eat better. If you're well slept, you'll have a desire to exercise. If you're well slept, then you'll probably breathe better. If you're well slept, then you won't be as ratty with your kids and your wife or husband or whoever. So I always look for the the biggest wins first because they compound into loads of other areas of our life. Yeah, it's interesting. I use two of those pillars. I use the stress and I use the sleep. 
And then mm-hmm. I bring in breathing because I think this is the thing about the human being. We're pretty complex beings. And traditionally, when one goes to a hospital, there's a focus in on one system or one function and mm-hmm. everything else is kind of ignored and we can't really do that. So stress handling ability, we, ha- we haven't been taught how to deal with stress. We haven't been taught how to deal with difficult situations. Do you think it's something that's on the radar, it's coming more and more on the radar. Is it something that's increasing or is it just that we're becoming more aware of it? I think we're becoming more aware of it. I don't know how much better our coping skills are. Awareness is the first step, right? It's like mental health. Mental health conversation over the last five years has become huge. I'm not convinced that many people have a better state of mental health. If anything, in the short term, I think it's potentially got worse because the awareness has increased the labels have increased. And if you were to look at how many prescriptions are being given out for depression now in the UK, the statistics are mind boggling. It's like 8 million active prescriptions in the UK for depression. And that's on the rise. So our quality of our mental health isn't isn't improving currently. It's not getting better. So I think we're just shining a light. Uh, it's like looking at mental health in the workplace. Like people are talking about it, but I don't think with you know the workforce of bringing in better strategies to actually give people better mental health in the workplace give people better better balance so i think that will come over time um but i think technology has a huge role to play in this like you said humans are quite complicated we are but we're actually really simple if you boil down our basic human needs which is security you know we like to get outside we like to move you know, we need to breathe, we need space, we need play. How many of those things are in our life in abundance? Not a lot. Most of us work inside. Most of us don't see enough sunlight. Most of us don't drink enough good quality fluids. Like we're actually pretty far removed from how we would have lived a hundred years ago if we want to boil it down to kind of like basic human needs. So I think a lot of us have got a long way to go. We've a long way to go, but I want society has kind of put us in this box in some ways. It's I find it strange, you know, um, like if you think of our work life, even that most of us started work, maybe at say 7.30 or even before this morning, and we would be working for eight, 10 hours and our whole every, it seems that society has put us into a situation that we have been educated. We have been trained with the sole purpose of putting in eight, nine, 10 hours per day with the pandemic, people are coming from their bedroom to their place of work. And you're right, they aren't even seeing the sunlight outside. We are missing it. Mm. So many of your, many of the people that you work with, and I know when you're very much in the business side of it, so you're working as well with different calibers of people. What do you say to people? How do you get them? What do you do? Do you sit them down and ask, what do you do in the morning? Do you break it down piece by piece and then start tweaking it? What do you find is the best way? Because we're also, we're complex, but we're also lazy. We are, yeah. But you have to find drivers in people to overcome their laziness. And also, there's probably a reason people are lazy. Like, what is actually the blocker there? And it might be that people are tired. They're not getting enough sleep. So if you fix their sleep, how do they become an unlazy person? Do they become motivated? But you're right. I think there's a point where you actually have to get granular with your lifestyle. It's like when people say to me, oh, I don't have time to do X. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's sit down. You get up in the morning at six. What happens from six to seven, seven to eight, nine to 10? You go through the day and you pick up all these like 
blind spots, these little windows of time where it's like, well, could you go for a walk in that 20 minute period where you watch the news in your kitchen? And could you listen to the news on your radio app, but still get outside and go for a walk? You know, you don't have time to, you know, prepare good food. Okay, cool. Well, you'll happily watch Netflix for 90 minutes on an evening, but you won't spend 20 minutes maybe thinking about your food the next day. So you, you kind of eat well. And it's not till you get granular where you can really expose these things. And that's not a negative thing because a lot of people, you know, humans get comfortable very quickly. We get stuck in habit loops. So you have to just bring people back, get kind of a blue sky view over your life and say, okay, let's, let's look broadly. This is what you're doing every day. And some people are like, yeah, when you think about it, I didn't, I didn't really think about it like that. And it's the case of like, you don't know till, you know, someone just points it out to you and you're like, oh, now it's obvious. Right. Mm. And the high performance coach, a lot of people will know this information, but where they need somebody is that the whole role of the coach then in any of us who are doing coaching. And, and of course, what you're doing is to pinpoint, it's about what developing habits, it's about holding the person's hand. It's about leading them through. It's about giving them feedback. It's about holding them accountable. What do you see in your role of a, of a coach in the broader perspective being a challenging figure in their life, asking hard questions. So, you know, for me, I know I've had a good session when I've probably spoke five, maybe 10% of the whole coaching time because I'm getting them to reflect on how they're performing, reflect on what they know, reflect on how they're feeling because most people intuitively know what they kind of should be doing. Of course, the coach has strategies, don't get me wrong, and it depends on the type of coaching that you're doing. But the client knows so much more than they think they do. And then for me, it's about just asking those questions that draws out also the confidence and the competence in them. And I feel it's a lot of my job to reinforce what they already know. So it starts to breathe their own level of confidence over time because I'm like, see, you already knew that. And they're like, oh, yeah, actually, because confidence is a huge thing in the process of change. You know, sometimes I'll sit, you know, in, in a coaching call and I'm like, I don't I don't think you believe in yourself. That's why you're not making these changes. And they're like, you know, you're right. And we might get a tear or whatever. And that's a good thing because that's a breakthrough moment. Like as a coach, I'm not scared to ask a question where I think the other person might break down in tears because that's the moment they need to realize for themselves that that is the blocking point of why they're not making progress. And that's really powerful. Um, but that's coaching. Yeah, and it's 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 often that perspective because I'm just thinking that some of the people who were very much stuck in a rush, nobody is may have been you know they they have been may on the they may, I better get my English right they may have been on the receiving end of a lot of criticism and nobody believing in them, and it can take sometimes we all need somebody in our life, and especially when we're younger when we're more vulnerable, that we can get caught and say this self-image about ourselves, which is reinforced by others, but others, including our peers, can often have their own agenda. And we believe what they tell us to be correct. And it needs somebody like a coach because to pull that apart and and to get the person actually, you know, believing in themselves, I often find it's interesting, you know, Mm, I, I totally agree. So one thing I like to do with my coaching is um, 
that reinforcing thing where so I might say something I might you know tease out an answer in them and say hey look you did know this but this is what I want you to do and at the end of it I might just say remember you're an awesome human being Mm. and sometimes like you say it's just they need someone to believe in them Mm. and as long as there's not too much noise around them they can focus on the belief that I have in them to drive them forward and I think that's the problem with the world of technology is there can be an awful lot of noise. There can be an awful lot of negativity if we let it in. Traditionally, you know, even 20 years ago, there wasn't a huge amount of negativity unless your immediate environment was negative. So your parents were maybe quite oppressive, maybe had quite a closed mindset. Maybe you lived in a really small town and there wasn't just a lot of opportunity, a lot of big thinking. But now we can connect with negativity all over the world. So it's so important to control your environment. And I spend a lot of time remapping people's environments because everything has an impact on how we think and feel the way that we sleep the information that we look on on our phone first thing in the morning because most people turn on their phone and go onto an app of some description first thing in the morning and then the relationship they have with their partner their kids like these are all things that pull us and if we can shape that environment we can live in a very very self-fulfilling world in a positive way but we have to have the strength to shape that in the way that we need it to, to get towards the goals that we want for ourselves. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I have to say I'm not a fan of the technology. And you know what it really kind of drives me bonkers is we know these multinational companies have employed hundreds and if not thousands of psychologists and behavioral analysis and Their function was, how do we create a situation that we make people addicted to our platform Mm -hmm. to consume people's time? And how sinister is that? And we are pawns. We are just, you know, just falling into this, like sheep to the lambs to the slaughter. It's really a conversation that has to be generated. Um, Can you give me any advice? Like I was talking to Caroline McKenna, lovely young woman, 31 years of age. And she was telling me that for her mobile phone, see, the thing about it, I'm nearly 50. So at least I had, say, 30 plus years of no mobile phone. I had 30 plus years, you know, looking out into into uh, into nature and mm. being bored um, and reading books and doing all those things that a lot of the kids nowadays so what do you do? Because it's a tricky enough situation. Somebody who loves their phone and they're just scrolling aim- aimlessly. What can you say to them? So I think there's a key word in in that, and that's aim. What are you aiming for in your life? And then what are you aiming for with your time? So the only time that I find myself, uh, I'll say, procrastinating on social media and scrolling is when I'm tired or I'm frustrated or, you know, there's there's basically ill emotions in me and I'm looking for distractions. Otherwise, I'm extremely focused on the time points in my day and what I'm doing in those time points. And I have quite a busy, busy life. I run a couple of companies. I've got two young kids. Like, there's not that much free time in the day. So if someone's spending an hour on their phone scrolling every day, I would say that you don't have things to aim for and achieve. Because those time periods are almost open 
they're open to be filled and social media is a you know in theory a good way to fill it you know you can find some funny things you can find some informative things but if it's not serving you then we need to refocus so as a coach i might sit down and go okay you're scrolling on social media for an hour but you're also telling me that you want to get fit or you want to you know be happier or whatever so how about we pick up a hobby or a craft how about we get into cooking so you can eat better and learn new skills and you know cook for your friends and family so as the role of the coach is then to reorientate the goals and the aims of that individual and quite often we fix the procrastination because we remove the reason to procrastinate it's the purpose isn't it yes like you kind of said it in so many ways there you you run your own companies i'm sure you're very passionate about it you found an occupation you found a job that's suited to your strengths you love what you do it's busy you've got kids all of that stuff is good and you have no problem directing your attention towards it but maybe the bigger question is how many people and how many people have found their sense of purpose so what you're doing is then you're dialing it down that when somebody comes into you you're giving them a sense of purpose you're working with their strengths what they like to do but there's a huge question here isn't there how many kids come out of school and if they go on to university or if they go into whatever the workplace how many of them actually achieve their sense of purpose that they have found an occupation whereby we're spending 30, 40, 50 hours per week in an occupation that we love to do. Does it ever come mm. up in the conversation? All the time. And uh, it's a really poignant chapter in my book that I've just written, uh, How to Live an Awesome Life. Oh. It's called How to Live an Awesome Life. Excellent. And as you say, we will spend a third of our working day most of the time, sorry, of our day working. So we need to do something that we enjoy. I don't know about you, but I think passions and purposes quite often get abused in the sense that on social media people often quite say oh you need to find your purpose and very few people actually do that so I think what might help people is say let's lean into and find things that you really enjoy that you're really good at and that you really just want to do so when it comes to your job what do you enjoy doing or what are your skills? So if you're in a job right now that's not utilizing your skills, if you move jobs or move departments or had a promotion or a demotion and you were using your skills, whether it was a career path you really wanted, you'd probably enjoy your job because you were doing it well. Mm. Like if you were really good at maths and mm. numbers and stuff, but you're working in customer service, you're probably not going to enjoy it because you're really good at maths. So like get in a job that has numbers. So rather than saying, oh, you need to find something that you, you know, you're really, you have purpose for, just lean into stuff that you're good at. It's like, if I said to you, Patrick, Patrick, what do you do for fun? Oh, well, I like to go dancing and I like reading and all the rest of it. And if you weren't doing that, you probably wouldn't be that happy, wouldn't be fulfilled. So it's just a case of, okay, we've got this free time over here. Let's fill it with things that you enjoy. And the chances are, you're probably not going to be a very unhappy person because at work you're doing well, out of work you're doing things you enjoy. And then as long as you're focusing on having healthy relationships, eating good food, sleeping, you're probably living quite a fulfilled and happy life. 
the problem mm. is is there's there's like a confidence thing there so it's like the confidence to actually say yeah I am unhappy. I'm going to move jobs or I'm going to do something about it. Or yeah, I am unhappy with that relationship. I'm in a relationship I don't even enjoy. So how do we get the confidence to remove ourselves from that, that relationship for my long-term happiness? So there's a big kind of self-worth, self-belief, confidence piece under all these processes of change. But all of it does need to take a long-term view. And a lot of people struggle with investing in the long-term view they want to lose weight in two months they want a new job yesterday like they want all these things quickly a lot of these things can't happen quickly it's like retraining your breath it's not going to happen like that you're going to have to spend time especially if you've been breathing badly for 30 years like you're not gonna you're not gonna crack it in in 10 days too you know it's gonna take some time so it's really important to take the long view with this kind of stuff and create a a long-term plan for yourself yeah, I find it phenomenal. I've been lucky enough to find an occupation that has been very suited to, to what I find interesting. And you just made one sentence there. You said, lean into what you like to do. Is it is it lean into what you like to do or is it lean into your strengths? Um, say if, for example, there's an 18-year-old, if I think of myself as an 18-year-old, I hadn't a clue what I wanted to do. I knew what I didn't want to do. I knew I didn't want to go into banking. I didn't want to go into working for the government. I didn't want to do those kind of things. I didn't want to go into the traditional occupations, but I had no idea what I was going to go in. And I did go into uh, an occupation after getting my degree and absolutely, I hated it now. And just as you're talking about the bad relationship, but when you're in it, you're kind of stuck in it and you feel you're stuck with it. But sometimes you have to just kind of take the the bull by the horns. Hmm. Well, so your your question was, do you think it's more about leaning into your strengths? I think if you do things that you are strong at, you will enjoy them. So like in my business, there's many roles that I could perform. I have very weak skills with like numbers, logical thinking, that kind of stuff. So if you put me in that environment, I will not enjoy it. There's a lot of friction. I find it really difficult. But if you put me in a creative environment... I thrive. I absolutely love it. It's not something I'm directly passionate about, but I really enjoy it because there's skill there. And if I'm getting an outcome, you know, it's building my business, it's helping create a message, whatever, then I'll really enjoy it. And that's where I think sometimes people feel like they struggle to crack it when people talk about find your passion. I think it could be simpler where we just say, just lean into things that you're strong at because you'll probably enjoy them because there's reward from doing things that you enjoy. So could you use this? Could you, so you would have kind of, okay, I'm a 20 year old, say coming out of school or 19 year old. I knew when I was doing my, in my school that there were subjects I liked and there were subjects I didn't like. So that could be a starting block, couldn't it? So you, you don't particularly like maths or that kind of idea, but there were other things that you really did like. So where does the 20-year-old or the 18-year-old start from? And is it something that we just dip our toe into the water? So leaning into it, it's not that. So I think what people might find really daunting is that huge leap. But you're saying don't have this big leap. You're only saying take it kind of step by step and to tease it out and even to ask the question. Because I suppose, Ben, 
how many people have asked a question, what, where should I go in terms of my occupation? What would I like to do? I think it's a question that's not necessarily put out there that often. I think it's put out there, but with a, a singular knowing focus. So what I mean by that is like, it's almost like the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's like, yeah. you have to know that you want to be a banker or an accountant or a nutritionist or whatever. It's like, it's a thing. It's like, well, it doesn't have to be a thing. And actually, when you look at it statistically, a lot of people move jobs every two or three years now. And you can do. We live in a digital age where I could get a job in an Australian company, an American company, a Norwegian company, because we're digitally connected. So when I was younger, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I kept following what I was interested in at the time. I was interested in fitness, so I became a personal trainer. I got then interested more in nutrition because I found that there was more, I felt there was more change that you could have with a client. So I specialized in nutrition. And then I got a bit bored and a bit itchy feet with where I was living. So I went away to university and I didn't enjoy the heavy structure of university. So I craved more randomness and I wanted to see who I actually wanted to coach because who I was coaching, I wasn't enjoying coaching. So there was one point when I was at uni, I had five different jobs. Two of them I did because I just needed money. Three of them I did because I was trying different career paths. So I coached kids playing sport. I worked in a pro athletic environment, coaching athletes in strength and conditioning. And I worked as a personal trainer, you know, training weight loss clients. And it was all me trying different things to find out what I wanted to do. And then again, I was like, okay, I'm interested in this now, but I see an opportunity here. And you start to connect the dots. And over time, it leads you, I suppose maybe towards a purpose, but it leads you continuing to follow your interests, which get you out of bed every day, excited rather than being like, oh, got to go and do that thing again because you're just not interested in it. Do you think life can direct us in a certain way that when we're open to it, you know, did you, I'm sure, did you, did you have helpful events in your life that you were you were going down a path like I went out of that company that I didn't like anyway. Um, and I had not just an opportunity come up and I went straight into that. And then I read a newspaper article and then I was driving from one side of the country to another and decided to become a beauty breathing instructor. That was, that was it. And it was kind of like nothing was planned. It kind of just fell into place, which is kind of weird does that happen? Did that happen in your life? Um, when you were writing your book and just go through, I'd like you to go through your book as well in a little point, but coming back to that question, does do you think life actually helps us? That there's something does, else there? I don't think a lot of people are eyes wide open listening and watching and have the confidence to potentially take the opportunities that life is showing us. So there's constantly doors opening and closing and how many of us are listening? And part of that is environmental programming. So I'm very fortunate that when I was a kid, my mum said, literally do whatever you want. Like, I don't mind. We'll support you. Because we didn't have a lot of money as kids. So mum was always just like, do whatever you want. We'll figure it out. Mm. And that's a very good thing for a young man to, to know that actually there's unconditional support, whatever I tried. Like failure isn't a thing. Don't worry about it. Whereas some parents might be like, Oh, 
you know, Johnny, you need to go and get that safe job and you need to do this and you need to focus and work up the ladder. So already that environmental programming is giving you one option. Stay on that career path, whether you like it or not, work your way up the ladder, get to earning 50 grand a year, get the house, get the car. So actually, when these doors open, they don't open for you because your belief system doesn't see them as open. So Mm. it takes quite a lot of work to retrain those environmental patterns that you've been taught by parents, teachers, friends, etc. And start to say, okay, I'm, I'm open to everything that comes in my life. And, you know, right now, there's loads of things that I have attached from me to me, sorry, from a business perspective. I run a fairly big company, but I'm not afraid to go, Okay, that's that's not the path anymore. The path's over here. I can see it. I can feel it. Or that's what I'm interested in. So I'm going to go over there. So if people are willing to open their minds up to it, totally. And uh, I think serendipity which is what we're getting at, uh, if we want to kind of label it, it's a beautiful thing, like the people that you meet, the experiences that you have. Um, and I think that's what makes life exciting as well. Like you, we've talked about career paths. Like if you can constantly follow a career path that you're interested in, it makes life very exciting because work is a huge part of our life. Well, it's tremendous. And I think it's the only way to succeed. Um, and I don't mean about success being from a financial point of view. I actually feel that you kind of reach yourself more self-actualization but Mm -hmm. that wasn't do you think it's changed a bit when i was growing up that was the advice you're a younger man than i am is that still happening is it happening with the 20 year olds now in other words you're saying or a parent is saying to their child i want you to be an accountant okay the child may absolutely hate it Mm. and the child is following the advice of the parent because it's the state safe steady secure job are their number one secure jobs now you know it's so everything is in flux and number two i think people are cognizant of the fact that yeah you go into a job that you hate and you're going to be burnt out by the time you're 40 years of age and because you don't even like your job you're not going to excel in it you know when you find something that you like to do you'll always be upskilling yourself because you find it interesting you're reading you're listening you're talking you're pulling information together you're always upskilling and that keeps you, you know, I suppose, finely tuned if the, if the right one. Do you think it's still going on? I think if you, if someone looks for a secure job, I'd argue they don't believe in themselves. And what I mean by that is when you believe in your ability and skill set, you're not worried about an opportunity ending or something ending because you'll be like okay that door's closed but this door's open and i'm going to walk through it boldly and be excited about about that to come back to your question i'm sure it is happening um Mm. what i see in young people is because there is a culture of being able to see what success can look like online now so there's a lot of online influencers that over three years have blown up to a million followers and all this kind of stuff the young people that i speak to and i have you know some some sort of elder teenagers in our family environment they want things very quickly they're not willing to put in the hard yard so it's almost like there needs to be a middle ground of the old school thinking of like get on the career ladder work your way up have a plan be patient you know progress 
And actually, there's this middle ground against what I think is happening now a lot of the time where people are like, well, that guy blew up on, you know, Instagram and he's now 20 and he owns a million pound company and he's got a clothing line and all this kind of stuff. It's like, you can do that, but either way, you've got to put in the work. Like we can't avoid at any point putting in the work. You know, um, everyone that's up there that you're admiring is putting a good amount of work. You've put in a high, you know, a high amount of work with writing your books, doing the courses, the speak. You know, that didn't happen with four hour days where you did a little bit in the morning and then had your feet on the hammock in the afternoon. There's been mm. quite a few I wish I did. 10 to 12 hour shifts there. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I started work yesterday at 7.30. I didn't finish until 7.30. It's 12 hours. Today is going to be the same, which is a bit crazy, to be honest with you. So now I really do want to, I want to dial it back a bit, you know. Um, so now this is going to generate, now, by the way, this is the first podcast. So this podcast is totally different to any other podcast because this is kind of a deep dive, but this is the stuff that interests me as well. Because this ties in with stress. And for me, it will tie in with breathing. You know, mm-hmm. when we're content and we're all, we're all, we're all looking to achieve that. But Ben, tell me this, the youngster then who feels that they can achieve it overnight, when it doesn't happen that way, like it took me 20 years, you know, when it doesn't happen that way, a terrible sense of frustration can set in, anxiety can set in. Yep. Um, And then there's probably a feeling where, what's the point? And then you settle, yeah, yeah. you settle for just something and then life doesn't really progress. You become unhappy, ill state of mental health creeps in. Then everything's stressful because you've got quite a negative mindset as a whole because the world's now acting against you and you think the world owes you something when it doesn't. And that's where you can go into yeah, a very dark place. And then your health suffers because you're just not looking after yourself because people that are not thinking right, sleeping right will eat generally quite poorly they'll stop exercising you know as you know from a stress stress breathing pattern they'll start hyperventilating even more so then there's even more problems the physiology their physiology starts to be altered because they're they're breathing poorly they're eating poorly they're not sleeping well and then they get into a, a bit of a dark place and then they're in the the doctor's clinic they're like oh i'm depressed I've got high heart rate um mm. and you know there's all host whole host of lifestyle related issues that are now starting to happen in younger and younger men and females because of how we're looking after ourselves or not looking after ourselves um so yeah it's a big it's a big conversation i think it's a really important one and it's that's why when we come back to this word of like what is a high performance coach you have to look really holistically at this whole picture because it's all interconnected you can't isolate the parts you have to look at it as a whole Mm. It's about responsibility. And it's about also that the world doesn't owe us a living. You know, and in terms of, because I see it, now I don't know, I don't want to say the wrong thing either. When I got onto the housing market in 2005, it was pretty tough. I slept on my, she's now my wife, their front room on a couch for one year so that we could save up and we spent nothing. I didn't drink alcohol for three years. Um, all of those things in order that we could get a deposit. And it was tough to get onto the housing market in 2005. 
we bought our house, it was 270,000 euro. The same house today could be bought for about 320,000. That was 20 years ago. Now, all I'm hearing about is that it's really tough to get onto the housing market. But I don't know if it was any tougher in 2005 when I was getting on versus today. I'm wondering, is there a change in the psychology? I'm wondering as if we just had to kind of grit it, that we knew that we weren't. I was an 80s kid. We grew up and things weren't there in comparison to somebody who's growing up in a more affluent environment. Things are handed to them. And that's what we do with my own kid. You know, things are handed to them. Am, am I sending them the, the, the wrong message that don't worry? Okay, no, I don't want anybody to worry, but I, I don't know if I'm communicating it correctly. I'm just wondering, is there a slight difference in their, their perception? Um, that if we do want to achieve, we really do. Number one, it's coming back to responsibility. I am responsibility for my lot. I'm going to put myself out there. And I think there's something very fulfilling because when you start putting yourself out there and realizing that you're quite capable in a certain area, there's something lovely about it, that you're, you're, you're a master of your own destiny. Do you think that, I know it's, it's a very, I don't want to, don't want to get us into trouble over the podcast. And I also don't want to label any generation, you know, because always the next generation will say that the generation under them is, is different. But uh, what's your thoughts on that, by the way? Is it the same that's happening in the UK with housing market? Is there a sense that, you know, um, who's at fault? Is it is it is it that everybody has a sense of entitlement, or is it that that should be looked after, or is it up to people to take individual responsibility as well? I think. At any in any environment you can complain about the rules of the game or you can just accept the rules of the game and play the fucking game and unless we take individual responsibility as you say of that all we're going to do is pick apart all the nuances of oh can't because of this it's like mm. just play the game it's like you could you could sit there and moan about the taxes that we pay in the UK they are what they are so play the game like you can actually play the system to better yourself. I'm a business owner. I pay less tax than a lot of people because in the UK, it's set up that way. I'm not complaining. I'm just playing the game. Mm. So you can look at the housing market and you can complain all you want, but you've got to play the game. That's the status quo. It is what it is. Get over it. Stop moaning. And as soon as you start moaning, you're taking more action than 95% of people. So already you're winning because you've taken control of the situation rather than just like everyone else going down a pub and moaning about it, like the media all moaning about it. And that's, you know, I don't, I don't watch any news, like unless there's a big thing happens and I tune into it and I'm like, okay, wow. Like I want to be informed about that. I just find the news such a negative thing. It's like, you know, all the news around the recession in the UK, the recession, this, all their how you know, everything's going to pop. But it's like, when you look at it statistically, it's not half as bad as, the, the, the news is making it out to be it's like the news is making it out like the hole in the ground is just going to open up and swallow us it's like well yeah some things have gone up like my utilities have gone up you know 30 percent or whatever but you know it's never as bad as the news make it out to be so again block out the noise block out the negativity focus on the facts focus on what you can control 
take control and then work towards the goal. Yeah, no, it's a man after my own heart. And I agree with the news. I don't listen to the news either. And I'm only thinking about, so say, for example, if the standard individual is looking into their phone for, it's three hours per day. Mm. There's, you know, and it, like you'll see the stats on it and it's shown as well that cognitive development is affected, etc. A person now who really wants to get ahead, all they have to do is start reorganizing things a little bit different. Like, as you say, when the vast majority of the population is doing one thing, and if I want to get ahead, well, I'm not going to follow this population mm-hmm. and not by not by not watching the news. And some people might say to you, well, you're, you're going to miss out on everything that's going on. But we have to take in mind that what we hear through the news is a very biased perspective and selective topic. And there's many great things that happen in the world, but we never hear it. But I'm just thinking about the person who has three hours of their life to give themselves attention, to develop themselves versus the rest of the population who is three hours and are scrolling aimlessly. Does that make sense? One mm. could argue that it's easy to get ahead. All you have to do is don't follow the herd. Mm. You know? Oh, totally. Um, you know, and it all... <laughs> Especially, you get this a lot in the, like parenting circles. People will talk simply about priorities. Like people will say, oh, "I don't have time to do X, Y, Z." It is priorities. Like I don't really have a lot of time to watch any telly. And like anyone, I like watching a bit of telly. I like a good film. I like a whatever. But I prioritize good food. I prioritize connection with my family. I prioritize trying to get out as much as possible outside. I prioritize maybe having a really tidy house, you know, so I can get up in the morning and it's, you know, nice and organized and whatever. That might only leave me 45 minutes a day to watch telly, but my my priorities are with my health, my family, my connection, my work. So when you sit down with an individual and I look at their 16 hours that are awake during the day and say, this is a reflection of your priorities. Look at your hourly distribution through your week. This is how your priorities lie. Would you like to change them? Cool. This is how your time allocation needs to start to change. Are you motivated to do that? Are you drawn enough towards the goals that you say you want to achieve to change your time allocation in your working day and week? Because that's going to have to change for you to get the outcome that you want. And say for somebody like yourself that's quite busy and you want to set time aside, because I had challenges with this as well that were going on for a couple of years, work would consume you. And what happens then was that you there would be no time for physical exercise. I then had to decide in my head, well, if I can't give myself some attention, it's it's what's the point of it all? You know, mm. and making a concerted effort and I said, well, I'm going to devote the first hour or hour and a half to myself and the rest of the day to work. How do you do it? How do you say it to your clients? Because I'm sure many of us are stuck in that boat. You know, that kind of way you go into work and you're caught up in work and you'll say to yourself, well, you're going to do physical exercise in the evening. Never happens for me. Never happens. But if unless I get it in the morning, is that normal? what what with your own with your own people even with yourself what do you do i personally choose to work less so i can give myself more time to exercise and look after myself that means something else has has to give 
And what gives is my potential progress in my career, which is ultimately a finite thing anyway. Like if I'm not at my peak health, my peak performance myself, then all of it is a waste anyway. And you ask anyone that's put too much time and energy into their career and they've hit 35, 40 and their health has become a real problem. Their relationships have become a real problem because they haven't put time and energy. They will riff to you for hours on how much they regret that. So I work around 30 hours a week. And on a Monday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, a Thursday afternoon, a however, hour, hour and a half block where I go to the gym, I make a choice to work less. See, I can do that because it's important to me. And sometimes I can pick up work in a few other areas and stuff. But I just have to accept that other areas go slowly. But again, it's just a shift in your expectations. And you can le- le- link, sorry, a lot of people's unhappiness back to their expectations. So if you shift your expectations, you'll quite often be a lot happier. Um, you know, so if I was to say, oh, I've got this big business goal, but I'm not going to have the time or energy mm. to actually put into it, then I have to shift my expectation because otherwise I'm just going to lead to perpetual unhappiness. So it's different for me because I'm a business owner. I get to control that. Other people that might not be the case. <laughs> um, I think you're right to some degree, a business owner, I'm too. Um, do you ever feel, though, that you have to put in the hours to show a good example to your st- staff? Or it's there's a certain amount of courage. I like, listen, I would love to do what you're doing. And as once I get this book across the line, that's it. I'm not going to write other books. So I think maybe I'm trying to do what you're talking about. You know, in terms of the expectations, it, it's kind of a, it's a it's a strange one, Ben, in terms of getting it right. So I sorry, I cut across there. Even though you're a business owner, sometimes I feel that because we are the owners, the book stops with us. It does. Um, I think it depends how you paint the picture and work with your team on that kind of stuff. Um, the reality is, if someone wants to work 20 hours a week and earn 100 grand a year, you got to do the work to get yourself there. So if your boss is on the golf course for half of the day, it's because he's earned the right to be on the golf course half the day because he's built the ecosystem that you work in. So again, stop complaining about the game and play the game. If you've got a contract that means you need to work 40 hours a week and do X, Y, and Z to achieve your KPIs, then that's what you've agreed to. Regardless of what your boss is doing or what other people are doing, you need to focus on yourself. So for me as the business owner, you know, I don't sit down with my team and say, oh, you know, this is this is what I work. The narrative in my business is the output and the mission that we're working towards and whether we achieve it or not. Because I could achieve something in an hour where someone else might take three hours because I'm skilled and I'm effective. And I think sometimes that's a false narrative where people kind of glorify time spent doing something. That absolutely means nothing. It's the outcome that we need to be focused on. You know, an artist might paint for 10 hours. You might paint for 20 hours. They look exactly the same. Which one's better? The one that he spent 20 hours on or the one spent 10 hours on? If anything, I would celebrate the fact that he did that in half the time and it looks the same. He's now on the beach for 10 hours because 
he could do the same thing in 10 hours. Mm. So I think the problem with being a business owner is you can get caught in the sort of dopamine and success hamster wheel of like, if I do more, I should get more out. But the game of work for me over time is all about leverage. How do I leverage my skills, expertise and ability to get the same outcome in less time or to earn the same amount of money with less effort? Mm. So like if I said to myself, oh, I want to earn 100 grand this year, but I'm only willing to work 30 hours a week. The next question is, well, how do I do that? It's not I can't do that. I need to work 50 hours. The question is, now, how do I do it in 30 hours? Because that's what I'm willing to do. Mm. And is there proof of success somewhere? Yeah. I know people that are probably working three hours a week earning 100 grand a year. So I know it's possible. I just don't know the plan to get there yet. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I think it's a great conversation. Do you cut out clutter? Emails are terrible clutter because I'm, I'm conscious that we're coming to a close. Um, I have to say I've enjoyed this. So I'm going to sit down now, pen and paper and start writing a few notes, you know. And that's the that's the beauty about it. We can always learn. We can always kind of grow. And um, clutter and emails. What you, it's almost that we can get caught up just answering emails. Well, why are you just answering emails? I know who I are they start. to? Who are they? Yeah, who are they for? <laughs> like again, it's like anything. Like it can be a habitual thing because of an environment that we've put themselves in. So, like social media is a great example. I could probably spend 10 times more time on social media answering questions and comments and all the rest of it. But I don't because my commitment is that I'll spend 30 minutes a day on social media, going through all my different platforms, answering, da, 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 da. then once that time's up, it's up because that's all I can give to it. That's all I'm willing to give to it. So if there's clutter or noise, I'd argue that people have been they're a bit stuck in an environment that they've put themselves in and they haven't really just set a new boundary and boundary setting and constantly reviewing them is really important. And a lot of parents will know this because as your kids grow up, they change so quickly and you need to keep readjusting boundaries, habits, routines. And that's so important. And, you know, like letting go of the old stuff that no longer serves the new environment that you're trying to build you know, around your family, around your work life, etc. So yeah, I'm I've I've spent a lot of time with a lot of clutter for a lot of years. And um actually going through long COVID, I was ill with long COVID for, for over 14 months. And uh, that taught me to really declutter my life because I didn't have the energy to deal with things. Physically couldn't do it. So I started to go, what's not serving me? Is there an ROI on that? It was just brutal. I had to be, but now I'm well, I'm now in this position where I'm like, life feels really streamlined and I'm just focused. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of noise in the world and it takes That's, a lot of, this is your next book, Ben, is it? Or is this all it, did you put this information into your book that you've just written? I did. Yeah. I get people to go through an exercise where it's simply what's not serving you in your life right now. And how do we develop the strength to say no, and sometimes those things are easy. You know, we've talked about social media a lot today. We can create better habits and routines around it. Sometimes it's very hard stuff where it, it you know, it's, it's maybe like a family member or a loved one where you need to create new boundaries around that relationship to bring about more space for yourself or happiness or maybe even complete freedom. 
those things aren't easy. They take time. And I'm very honest about that in the book, but they're really important because most people are seeking a greater level of happiness. That's why people go on a diet. They don't just want to lose weight. They want to be happier. Mm. Great conversation. Um, we're going to bring it to the close. Your The name of your book again. How to Live an Awesome Life. Okay. It's all in the title. And for anybody to find you on Instagram, you're, you've got a great following for somebody. I'm envious. Somebody who's spending 30 minutes a day. I've got somebody hired full time and we've only half the following. <laughs> I have put in a lot of work to get there. And the but funny is thing the leverage, is, is that you're talking about. It is the leverage. My social media has barely grown in the last couple of years. And that's because of the amount of time or quality energy that I put into it, because I now focus more on the business and running the team and, and whatnot. So I've been on social media since like 2008. So there's a lot of time and energy being put into that. So, um, yeah, if people want to find me, I'm Ben Coomba on all the social platforms. Ben, a pleasure. Thank you very much, sir. I've really enjoyed this chat. Thank you for listening to the Oxygen Advantage podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and maybe take the time to leave us a review. The Oxygen Advantage podcast is available from all your podcast providers.